It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 92, The Place of Promise and the Fulfillment of Prophecy. It's been a long road for David. It was 22 years ago when a long-haired sage picked him from among his seven brothers, the son of Jesse, to be the next king of Israel. No doubt the word was doubted time and time again, and the purposes of God were hard to understand. Despite suffering from the sword, hardship, and hunger, David had been fashioned and molded into a great leader of men, and man of God in war and worship. He had learned to fear the Lord and shun evil, at least most evil, in the world. And now in this episode, he arrives at the place of promise. Abraham was childless for decades. Joseph received multiple prophecies, but he was sold into slavery and servitude. Moses wandered for 40 years in the wilderness once, and one could say he did it twice, before seeing the promised land with his own eyes. In this episode, we cover the end of the line of Saul and the fulfillment of prophecy as David is crowned king, and we get a glimpse of what he will do as king. When news travels north of Abner's murder, it whacks out Ishbosheth, who fears for his life. It says he loses courage, and he and much of Israel becomes alarmed. But it is David whose repentance that calms Israel's fears. But as you can imagine, Ishbosheth is only in power because of Abner, and he's really weak. He's quite incapable of heading even probably to see David. He's probably in a state of mental fear meltdown because Abner pretty much kept things together, even more so the army because without their leader, the army falls into anarchy. For two men see an opportunity just like that Amalekite earlier who killed Saul. But before we get to this act, there's a bit about Ishbosheth that I failed to cover before. It's trapped in the Hebrew of his name. His name actually means man of shame. Isn't that terrible? That describes this moment for Israel. Consider the fact that his father was once anointed the king. He lost his anointing to David. Ishbosheth never had an anointing. He is the shame of Israel, ruling by human authority instead of the anointing of heaven. It is no wonder his years of ruling part of Israel comes to nothing. Second Samuel four five. Now Rekha and Bana. The sons of Remon the Berethite set out for the house of Ishbosheth, and they arrived there in the heat of the day while he was still taking his noonday rest. They went into the inner part of the house as if to get some wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rekah and his brother Banah slipped away. They had gone in the house while he was lying on the bed in his bedroom. After they stabbed and killed him, they cut off his head, taking it with them, they traveled all night by way of the Arabah, and they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. 
This day the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, against Saul and against his offspring. So another assassination in Israel. It's pretty nasty stuff. They snuck into his inner chamber and into his bedroom, where he was sleeping in the middle of the day. This says a couple of things about Ishbosheth. He sleeps during the day, which is quite rare for any king. Either he was crazy lazy, or he was just in a state of mental shutdown mode, incapable of action, filled with fear and shame. Asleep when he should have been in Hebron, surrendering the kingdom to David. Regardless, these two guys ruthlessly attack him in his sleep and take his head and ride all night, an all-night ride, which is crazy, just to wake David up to get their reward. Now here is David, and he receives from the two scoundrels who want a reward, the head of the brother of Jonathan and the brother to his newly reunited wife, Michael. So what do you think David does here? I give a little pause just for you to consider it. And if you're into Roman history, I give you a hint. What did Julius Caesar, whose policy during the Roman Civil War was mercy, do when Ptolemy's officers cut off the head of Pompey the Great? So that's my hint. 2 Samuel 4, 9. David answered Rekah and his brother Banah, the sons of Remon the Barathite. As sure as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble... When someone told me Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death in Ziglag. That was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more than wicked men who killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? So David gave an order to his men, and they killed him. They cut off their hands and their feet and hung the bodies by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in Abner's tomb at Hebron. Bad idea, guys. The answer to the question is these guys got what they deserved. Justice, not a reward or a payoff. It never pays off for these guys no matter how many times the man of mercy is presented the head of their enemies. Continuing our historical parallel, in 48 BC, after a long civil war between the leaders of the Roman Senate and Pompey and the followers of Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar won the Battle of Pharsalus and offered clemency and mercy to everyone who stopped fighting against him. Pompey fled and ended up in Egypt. Hoping to obtain favor from Julius Caesar, officers in the court of Ptolemy of Egypt assassinated Pompey and presented his head to Julius Caesar. Upon confirming his identity, Julius Caesar cried and hunted down the killers of Pompey, the enemy he desired to grant mercy to. It was Jesus who spoke these words about mercy from Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Also, this scene speaks of David's promotion to a place of physical authority, for gone will be the test of providing for himself and running from his enemies. But the new trials, the new trials of authority and kingship and challenges become ones that impact others and the next generations. The challenges of how to handle problems and justice with the application of wisdom and excellent leadership. After this scene and David's repentance from the last episode after the murder of Abner, Israel comes to honor him as king. 2 Samuel 5, 5 
All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he became king, and he reigned forty years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. All right, so let's try to paint a picture. Check this out. David is crowned king of Israel at the age of 37. And there's a huge party and thousands and thousands of men and soldiers come from the north. In fact, Chronicles 12 documents the counts from each tribe. In fact, in this chapter, you can count over 300,000 able-bodied men who show up to honor and bow a knee to serve David as king. The gifts must have flowed almost endlessly, for each man tried to bring a gift to his new king, for this was the custom and continues in many parts of the world today. The three-day party must have been a spectacle. The space in Hebron must have been exhausted. There must have been a continuous feast and barbecue, and the rejoicing and dancing was just endless. But at the end of the party... I can picture David talking to the men of the northern tribes. Hey guys, you men of Naphtali, you men of Ephraim, on your way back home, let's march together. I would like for you to show me your loyalty. I would like to ask you a favor, just a simple campaign. Their response would have been very eager. I need you to show me your loyalty. In fact, we will have a healthy competition amongst the leaders of each of the tribes. Whoever can do what I ask will receive command over all of my armies. Unknown to all the commanders except Joab, their destination was a hilltop citadel only miles to the north, whose name was Jabus. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we can't miss this opportunity to discuss the moment of arrival for David. It's been 22 years since that faithful anointing by Samuel. David has arrived at that crucial point in his life where God fulfilled his promise in time to David, where the intersection of his life's history and work and callings and talents and dreams and anointing and gifts merge in a given point in time. This complete intersection in his life could have only been fulfilled if David did his part, which was to be faithful to God, which despite his moments of falling away, his time in Ziglag, David was faithful in his heart to God, and his promises and his worship was to God alone. David has arrived at that moment in his life, his life's purpose to worship God and to be the king God had anointed him to become. If you want to picture David walking with God alone in the cool of the late night after being anointed king of Israel, remembering all the events of the last 22 years, and marveling how God did it all, and how he still fulfilled his promise, and all at the faithfulness of God, David's thankfulness must have been overwhelming. I mean, sometimes in life, all you can do is just say thank you when God overwhelms you. Lacking many words to praise God except the word faithful. Could it be David recounted an old psalm or wrote Psalm 136 about God's power 
and his faithfulness to his servants. Psalm 136, the New Living Translation. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who has made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. His faithful love endures forever. He killed powerful kings. His faithful love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his faithful love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his faithful love endures forever. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. A special possession to his servant Israel. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his faithful love endures forever. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we cover the capture of Jerusalem and its significance in world history. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.